When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. So, yeah, it's going to be a depressing one, this, uh, tell you in advance. We've left it a couple of days, well, not quite, but just under a couple of days since losing the Manchester derby. Uh, I think it gives you a bit of time for reflection. I think if you record straight away, you just get a barrage of craziness and uh, despair. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Imran, I'm assuming you were at this match, were you? I was. Uh, my record at Old Trafford and, uh, this year you, is... I know you haven't got a good record. <laughs> You haven't got a good record this season, have you? I've seen one win, and it was the Wolves win, which was barely a win. Uh, Other than that, I've seen all four losses. Four losses? Yeah, four losses. Uh, We've had Brighton, Palace, Galatasaray, and now City. Uh, I've not been present at any of the wins, so that's nice, apart from the Wolves game, which, again, felt like a loss. So I'm not there on Wednesday, everybody. I'm not there for the Newcastle game, so you can put all your money on a United win. I mean, conversely, uh, we will be talking on focusing on that City game, the Derby match. But yeah, we will also touch on we had a win at home against Copenhagen. And I was at the Copenhagen uh, and I have been a a couple of the other wins that you missed, the Brentford, the Palace Cup game. Um, uh, But yeah, I actually was not there for this Derby game because it fell in half term and we were not around for, for this game. So I guess in the end, it's a blessing. Um, but yeah, do you feel any better a couple of days after? I mean, I wasn't expecting much anyway. Um, wasn't I thought we'd get gubbed. Uh, I, my prediction was four one, so three nils fairly in line with that. Um, it wasn't as bad. Remember that two nil game under Ole, where they were basically strolling around for most of the game, just out passing us, and we were running around and couldn't get any of them. It wasn't as bad as that game. We actually. Had some shots, we had some chances, we could have easily scored a goal. Um, so it wasn't as bad as that game, but it was pretty bad. Yeah, and obviously we've had some bad ones. <laughs> yeah, we've had some bad ones in recent times. Uh, it's not the first time, but I kind of actually find the fallout from this game a bit too much. Obviously, I'm absolutely gutted that we lost the Manchester derby. We were well beaten, 3 0. None of us were giving us much chance going into this match, though. I mean, I did the last podcast with Ali Woods and I made him do predictions. And he said, yeah, I think we'll sneak past Copenhagen. And I could tell he kind of didn't want to say that we had very little chance. And he kind of said, yeah, I think we can get a 1-0. But it's the kind of thing I do as well. When we used to do predictions, we don't anymore. I can't be bothered with them anymore. We used to do predictions always on this podcast. And I never used to predict that we would lose a game. Even if I thought we might do, I never would. Even though I know you, on the other hand, often used to predict that. Um and yeah, Ali kind of said, yeah, maybe we can get a 1-0. But he said it in a way where he kind of knew it's not going to be good. And most of our fans were expecting the same. Even though we had come off a back, off the back of three wins in a row, they were all pretty unconvincing. They were all very average opposition that we'd beaten. Uh, Copenhagen, Sheffield United, yeah, not great Brentford team at the moment. And um, yeah, City, although also went on their best, best form, are looking pretty good, not missing that many players. Only really, I guess, Kevin De Bruyne has been their big miss. But apart from that, they're pretty much at full strength. Whereas, yeah, we're obviously still struggling. Um, 
I always wait till I see the kind of actual lineup before I get my feeling on the game. And yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised. I thought we would have Reguillon back. I thought we would have Varane back and it might give us a bit of feel that, yeah, look, we've got some defenders back in. But yeah, uh, Ten Hag decided to go with Evans Maguire, with Lindelof. And yeah, I think your comment straight away was, um, yeah, well, that looks like a team or something like that. It's it's definitely 11 people on a football pitch. Uh, It was an absolutely baffling lineup. Um, We have an emergency left-back who's meant to play at left-back and he's on the bench instead of Victor Lindelof, who cannot play left-back. He can barely play centre-back. So never mind left-back. Um, Johnny Evans. I mean, it's not that clear. I assume that they're not 100% fully fit. He he came off the bench. Um, He started midweek. He's fully fit. Especially if you're in a Manchester derby, he's definitely fully fit. Um, Varane, same. Came came off. He played played midweek, Varane. So... Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if the two of them were in like fit enough no. to be playing if, two if matches on the in bench, a row. I mean, if they're on the bench after playing last week, they're, they're definitely fit enough. And well, Ten Hag did actually make the comments about picking Varane. He was asked about it. There has been some strange comments from him post match over here. Sometimes I think there's too much made of post match comments. You know, managers don't plan these things. They're asked questions on the cuff. It's not his first language. But he has said some things that do deserve having a look at. And yeah, he basically said that he picked Harry. He doesn't think that Maguire and Varane can play together because he thinks they're both better on the right side. And he's basically ended up preferring Maguire, who has been in decent form, to be fair to him. And then he's gone with a left-sided player in uh, Johnny Evans. So he's that is more or less what he said, mm. that he didn't think that the two of them should be playing together and that it's one or the other as the right side. And then I guess he has the option of Lindelof or Evans for the left centre-back. I mean, what do you think about that? It's, I think it's nonsense. <laughs> um, I mean, I love Johnny Evans. He's probably my favourite player at the moment, is Johnny Evans, because, you know, he's Johnny Evans. What a guy. Coming back at 35 and actually showing up most of the people in the team by doing quite well. And to be fair, I actually thought Maguire and Evans were probably our two best players on the day because um, they're the only two who actually showed any sort of grit. Oh, no, no. I thought, oh, I thought Onana I mean, was the best Onana was actually a man of the match. I mean, outfield players, because they're the only two who actually showed any sort of fight, aggression, grit. They were actually giving Haaland a bit, you know. I mean, Haaland came away with two goals, but they gave him, like, they were being tough tough in with him, and the only goal, he's, he got one penalty and one free header at the back post, which was just calamitous defending all over the place. Uh, but still, I mean, you've got Varane there. You think Varane, Maguire... That's going to give us a, a, a more solid base and a bit more pace back there, ultimately. Um, the midfield was, I mean, you what, McTominay at 10, so Bruno could be on the, the right wing. It makes no sense uh, to me. Uh, what I found more baffling about it's that... It's kind of an untried, it's an untried it, it, partnership, just, isn't it? It was basically Amrabat and Ericsson, Ericsson which started this and game. The more baffling about, thing about that, to me, was he brought off Amrabat at half-time who, I mean, Amrabat wasn't having an incredible game, but he was doing defendy things. He was like, sort of, like he was there. They weren't running through us like at will, which they did in the second half. Completely just would run through our midfield at will in the second half and get onto our box. And actually, yeah, they had what they had the big chance where Anana made that incredible save. But other than that, in the first half, we defended all right. They needed that very soft penalty to score. It was 1-0. Would have been 0-0 without that soft penalty. And second half, though, they absolutely ransacked us because they could just go through our midfield again because a base of, what, Ericsson and McTominay and with Mount in front of them is just, that's not a midfield. Uh, then there's the obvious question of, we have a £55 million signing in Mason Mount sat on the bench. Uh, he was meant to be our midfielder. He comes on and isn't our midfielder. He's our number 10 now. Well, uh, we have a we have a number ten in Bruno, who's yeah, he's playing terribly, but he is our number ten. He doesn't play a number ten at all. We have all these players who's I don't think Ten Hag knows what position he wants to play them in. Don't think they know what position they're playing in. It's all a bit of a mess. I think Ten Hag does know what position he wants to play them in. He tried it at the start of the season. It didn't work. We then had an absolute ton of injuries. And it made it even worse. Like, and yeah, other players out of form, whether it's Casemiro, Bruno, Rashford, like our big players are kind of most reliable players from last season. I think he does have an idea of what he wanted, but it has not worked. And he's now in that total dilemma of 
does he just kind of regress to what worked last season or does he stick with what he wanted to move on to this season and he's just a bit of a halfway of house of not really doing either thing and then you know you get somebody like McTominay who scores a couple of goals out of nothing and he's suddenly starting every game which you know I do get it we were struggling for goals we've not scored enough goals this season it's a big problem and he showed up and scored three goals in two games so he's getting the starting place but I said it on the last podcast, he doesn't do enough most of the time to be deserving that starting place all the time. Uh, Especially, yeah, he's starting at number 10 over here rather than even in midfield, um, which is not working that well. But yeah, look, in general, I do agree with you. I thought the first half was actually okay. We couldn't be that disappointed in this game uh, that we were only down to a very questionable penalty. VAR pissing me off yet again. Just like, you know, I actually was, like I said, watching this one in a pub. And you don't always hear all the bits of commentary on what's going on. And I didn't even understand what was going on when this was kind of pulled back all of a sudden. I mean, I don't know what you thought in the ground where, you know, VAR is even much worse. Well, we knew it was a possible penalty check because that's what the Tanai said. But we, none of us knew what had gone on. in the, They didn't look anything out of the ordinary of what you see at any normal free kick. And when you watch it back, there was nothing out of the ordinary for what he does here. Every free kick, every corner. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't even. I thought. I thought. Oh, maybe he's got like both his arms wrapped around him or something, or dragging him by his shirt. But it's not even that. It's one hand, sort of on his midriff, twice, not very aggressively. Rodri hits the floor. That that is, that is n- never a VAR intervention. Never in a million years it's a VAR intervention. And it won't. If the referee gives it on the pitch, it's still very soft. But fair enough. The ref's seen a holding. Maybe he's told Hoyland Ford make sure you don't hold him, and then he's holding him, and then he's gone down. Fair enough. I'll accept that a little more. But this is that is absolute nonsense penalty. And they'll say something like, oh, this will be the, the standard going forward. It won't be. This will not be a penalty probably ever again for the whole rest of the season when there's holding in the box. Um, it's just another ridiculous decision. We, I still go back to that Spurs handball, which will be a handball every single day in every single other game ever on the planet. And we got the, he was too close to him, or something like that nonsense excuse, which is something that's never been wheeled out again with handballs that have been closer, uh, with people's hands that have been lower down. It's never been said again, this distance between players when a a guy's hand has been way out. uh, Just absolute bollocks. But the thing is, they didn't need that penalty to win this game. They probably would have won it anyway. They were a far superior side, but it's just another thing that annoys you because... Yeah, it wasn't shouldn't have been a penalty. Yeah, I mean, all right, you say they were far superior side, but look, we're both agreeing that in the first half, the only real massive difference was an awful VAR call. I totally agree that we were bad second half. We deserve to lose that. And I do think that Eric Ten Hag is going to have to take blame for this. Um, I think, as I said, in general, I think the fallout from this game is too much. A lot of people now questioning the manager, talking about can he survive, whereas most of us expected to kind of lose this game. Uh, it is that change. Amrabat off, mount on, which changes the game and loses it for us completely. Uh, I mean, I know that you don't like Mason Mount at all. I have been saying personally that I think he's a better player than he showed so far. But in this game, he didn't show it. He was absolutely anonymous in that second half. And as you said, he's taking off our defensive player. He's actually done this several games in a row now. He did it with Casemiro, where he took him off uh, before his kind of injury. He even took Amrabat off in the last game and brought on Eriksen. That was generally the change he was doing. He was often taking off the defensive player, whether it was Casemiro, whether it was Amrabat, and bringing in Eriksen for a kind of second half. And often it did make sense. It was games where... We were losing or drawing and not creating that much. Ericsson came in, kind of brings a bit more creativity, a bit more, you know, passing style. Uh, but you lose massively on the defensive side. And when we know we've already got a weakened back four, to do that, I think, you know, it's just too much of a risk. It's too much of a risk. And we see what happens after that. City kind of ran riot. They had several chances. They scored us scored more. Uh, the XG shows that, they probably should have scored before at least basically and that yeah we were getting up to 0.9 xg basically i mean we did have a few chances rashford could have done better 
Hoyland could have done better. I think McTominay had one kind of shot early on as well. Um, but yeah, there wasn't that many. But I think, yeah, that half-time change, I think, gifted this game to Manchester City. And I'd, otherwise, I don't think it was as awful as it could have been. Um, it is weird to think back that this, last season, this match, it was this year, right? We played City at home in January. We beat them 2-1. And it wasn't like a smash and grab. We had several chances that day. Uh, I think we were worthy of the win that day. We won it 2-1. And we're only, you know, we're in the same year. It's not like years later. So, yeah, what do you feel has happened between that game that we won 2-1 and everybody was saying, wow, you know, we went pretty well with Manchester City. They didn't play us anywhere off the park. We deserved that win to the same match at home. All right, it is 10 months later, but it's still like the same year. And it's just like a massive gulf in where we've kind of seemed mm. to have dropped. Yeah, I mean, the thing about I said about after that game, I said the, the, the encouraging thing about that game was you play, I. I reckon if you replayed that game in January 10 times, we'd have won five of them and they might have won five of them or some of them might be draws, but we would have, we, we, were hold, we were more than, you know, competing in that and well worth our win. This game, you could reply it 10 times. I don't think we win it once. We might sneak a draw once maybe, but I don't think we win it one time. Um, it's just well, I think if all... he keeps Amrabat on and goes second half, similar to how he went first half, I think we, we still had a chance in this game. I think that was the major tactical mistake. And yeah, that is on uh, Eric Ten Hag. He has to take blame it, for that. It was, a, it was a tactical mistake, but I still think they had too much quality for us. And we ultimately, we are a team who doesn't know what it's doing. And I think that's the issue. We are a team that haven't got a style. I mean, it, it's what everyone's saying. We don't have a style. You, you can't look at us and think, I know what we're trying to do. I know what United are trying to do here. There is none. And I think it's what you said, like Ten Hag, Obviously, in his mind, had an idea of how he wanted to play this season. He started it and it didn't work. And now we're sort of caught between the limbo of a style that he wants to play and a style that he doesn't want to play. And the players are either getting too many different instructions for different types of styles that we're trying to play or trying to execute. And it's just, none of it seems to be working. No one knows what we're doing. The movement off the ball is so poor. The thing I think I hear most inside Old Trafford is move or show for him, or something to that extent, or just, you know, show for a pass, passing lanes, etc. Um, we don't have any of that. There's no cohesion to our play. We, we, our last, our two big chances in this game came from very similar balls, from one from Ericsson, one from Rashford, where they just pinged lovely balls, that like world-class balls, basically, over the top. And uh, Rashford missed one, and McTominay missed the other. Uh, against Copenhagen, I Goal came again from an absolutely fantastic ball in from Ericsson and Maguire headed in. But this, our goals are either that sort of thing or individual moments of brilliance, really. Um, it's there's, there's no style. There's nothing there. And you just wonder, what what are we? What are we as a side? I don't think Ten Hag knows. I don't think the players know. And I think that's showing. Well, I think we will take a quick break there and that will be exactly the question we're going to focus on in the second part of the show because there has been some comments as well from Eric Ten Hag about the style. He was kind of asked about, you know, are you what are you trying to do? Are you trying to replicate your Ajax team here? And yeah, he did make some kind of funny comments and it's exactly what we'll talk about in part two of the show. But yeah, we will take a quick break there. Back for part two of the show. Yeah, we are talking about the style of play. And this, you know, the thing about Manchester United's style of play, it's been a constant question in the post-Ferguson era. Uh, people talked about Ole. They said it's just about counter-attack. Mourinho as well was a defensive style of coach. Before that, we had Louis van Gaal. He was the one coach who tried to come in and completely change our style. He was going for a possession kind of base football that we've never really had before. And it didn't work out that well. I mean, he as well had a good first season, to be fair. It was, it, I see a lot of parallels between what happened with Van Hal. Like the first season, he went slightly kind of pragmatic. We did all right. He got us back in top four. Uh, people were relatively happy. And then the second season, he really tried to change the style. He really tried to evolve. He was going to his traditional possession style. We hardly scored any goals. People thought it was too boring. There was hardly any goals, especially at Old Trafford. The fans got on his back and he ended up getting sacked. I mean, I don't know if our fans are ready to be patient 
to get a complete change of style. That's the problem nowadays. Manager is not going to be given time to completely change the style of play. Uh, you know, have you seen these comments from Ten Hag when he's asked about the kind of Ajax thing? And he basically says... Yeah, I saw them. That, he says, look, we are not going to play like Ajax. He, you know, he said, we don't have the players for that. It's not what I'm aiming for. Uh, it's a different kind of remit. He had also said previously this season that, you know, he's trying to, for us to be the best transitional team in the league. And that is that is basically what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was also trying to do. It's not that different. And is that what you were expecting from Eric Ten Hag? No. And I don't think we are anywhere near the best transition team in the league either. Um, it's and it's ultimately going the way of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which was we basically relied on moments and people. Remember, people called us moments FC because we were just relying on individual brilliance and individual moments, and it's going that way again. He needs to, I mean, he needs to take a lot of flack for how we are currently. You don't need. I mean, Ange has come along at Spurs and he's implemented a style there so fast, and you think. Yeah, managers need a lot of time, but some managers don't. And Ten Hag's had the benefit of being here for a year longer than Ange has been at Spurs. And if he can change their completely overhaul how they play within a few weeks. But I, I think it's easier when you first come in. I think it's, it is easier when you first come in to change things. It's actually that second season where you try and progress it. And, you know, people are comparing like, you know, Obviously, yeah, what's going on at Spurs with the new manager over there and as well, uh, what's his name? Emery at Villa has done good work in a relatively short space of time, but he also only came in kind of mid-season. So I, I think it is easier in that first bit. And yeah, Ten Hag has done well when he first came in. You know, we were a mess the year before. We were way out of everything. Confidence was low. He came in. He's done pretty well to get us going again. Ended up getting us top four winning a cup, getting another cup final. So, yeah, he did well in his first season. It's only this second season now where he's trying to evolve things again and it isn't happening. I mean, if you had the choice, there is a thread on Red Cafe at the moment. I thought it was an interesting question. They said, do you want the manager to stick with what he wants to do, even if it means losing more games? Or should he go back to what was kind of working the more pragmatic style last season? I think he should go back because I don't even think the style he's aiming for will work. I don't think he can achieve it. I would go back to being a bit more pragmatic um, and ultimately get some wins on the board because he needs them. He needs he needs those wins on the board for him. Um, otherwise, I think a lot more people are going to lose faith in him quite quickly. Um, but I honestly don't I don't see how he can achieve this, especially with how we're looking at the moment. We look absolutely clueless. We don't look anything like a team who's trying to achieve something. I'd, I'd, I'd be fine with it if there were sprinklings in games of, oh, you can. that's what we're trying to do there. I can see that. There is, it's nowhere near that in a game. You cannot remotely take any part of a game and think, oh, yeah, look at what United are trying to do here. Not, none at all. It just, it's completely non-existent. And if it's at that right now, then bin it. But, and the issue is as well, and it's not. It shouldn't have been his job. It shouldn't have ever been his job. But it is. Is he's brought in his players for this? It's not like he's been thrust with players who don't fit his system, and he's kind of having to make them work. He has brought in the players to make this system work, and it is failing spectacularly, as are a lot of his signings. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely criticism he needs to take for some of the signings. Uh, there isn't actually that many. There is a long list of kind of loan deals and free signings and all, but the ones he actually paid for, I think the six, six or seven. Um, so obviously, yeah, last year we had Malasia, who's just kind of a cheap sub. Yeah, uh, that's fine. The big signings were obviously Martinez and Anthony, players he knew very well. Obviously, his choices. I think Martinez was a great signing and is one of our huge, huge misses at the moment. Anthony, we obviously way, way overpaid for him. I mean, I doubt Eric Ten Hag ever said, I'm ready to pay £90 million for this guy. He probably just said, yeah, I want to have him. He's like high on my list. And then I don't think he has much say in how much is paid and all. If you remember, he was like the kind of panic buy right at the end of the mm. window when we'd lost a couple of games, when obviously the board went, 
oh shit, like, you know, we've got a few more days. We started the season awfully. What the hell can we do? And they went and paid 90 million for Anthony. Uh, so yeah, that we have paid a crazy amount. And the other panic buy at the same time was Casemiro. Uh, 70 million for a 30 year old. I remember at the time saying it's a lot, but he had a really good season last year. I thought he was one of our standout players and was, yeah, the big part of everything good we did last year. This year, I'm not sure what's happened to him. I don't know if he's tired, if he's had too much football. Uh, you know, he's jetting out to Brazil. He is the captain of Brazil nowadays. Obviously, he's one of those players who was out at the World Cup as well last year. And I remember after that World Cup, everybody said, you know, what is going to be the ramifications of this mid-season World Cup? How are players going to deal with that? And yeah, I think we might be seeing players like Bruno, Casemiro, Rashford, who all played a huge amount of football last season, are struggling uh, with that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, on the, so the other signings, all right. Mount, I know, you said day one. I don't want this guy. I don't know why we're buying him. I kind of understood that as well. I mean, personally, though, at the moment, I'd say, why is it he should get a chance? But probably on the right side of midfield. And let's get Bruno back at number 10, where he should be, where he's always done his best work. I mean, Bruno has been bad this season, but he's been moved around a lot. Uh number 10 on the right side sometimes more in the midfield and I think that is a big problem I think we need to go back to kind of like basics of last season Bruno at number 10 get Rashford on the left get your striker integrated get a double block midfield behind them which is what we've not been doing that was the big change going from you know I talked about that we beat Manchester City in January can you remember what our midfield was that day I assume it was Casemiro Fred and Bruno I assume yeah, you're right. Well, it was no, it was Casemiro, Fred, and Ericsson, and Bruno was on the right. Oh yeah, uh, Bruno. but it was Casemiro and Fred. Obviously, Fred is no well, longer. We haven't, at the we club. haven't replaced Fred for <clears throat> as maligned as Fred was. I, I actually say good... that Fred's replacement is Hannibal. Hannibal can do that job that Fred does. Just the all energy, constant pressing. I mean, he's not as experienced as Fred. Uh, he's a young kid. I, I think Hannibal is unlucky not to have played a bit more since having a few appearances and doing pretty well, better than I expected. Yeah, well, he's he, he played well, and then suddenly he's nowhere to be seen. It's bizarre. bizarre. Like he could, he could have a a rightful gripe uh, here because he had come in, he played well, lots of energy. Made our midfield look probably the best it has all season. Nowhere to be seen. Um, it's really weird. Ericsson, who has been excellent the last three games, came on literally in the last three games to change the game, didn't start one of them. The one thing you think about Ericsson is maybe don't start him against City because, you know, legs and all that stuff. So obviously he starts him against City, whereas maybe he should be starting the games against the worse teams than that. And you think it's just these real these random decisions that he's just not helping himself at all. And obviously the Mason Mount thing, I mean, we bought him to be a central midfielder despite him not being a central midfielder. Can't play him as a central midfielder because he's not one. And now what, we have to turn him into a right winger despite him not being a right winger either. I mean, ultimately you could say he probably needs to has should have a shout at number 10 because Bruno needs dropping. Um, Rashford probably also needs dropping. Granatchen probably needs to come in and have a couple of games on the left wing. Um, that's the issue. And ho- hopefully these will happen against Newcastle. I can see I a, think they will a against Newcastle. Team. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, you can see a lot our, of changes. Our only good performance of the season came against Palace in this competition when we had a second string 11, or almost second string 11. Can't remember who exactly played. I think Casemiro was in there and stuff. But, I mean, that was our best performance of the season. So maybe it's asset, maybe a second 11 is the way to go. But, yeah, I, w- I would hope to see a lot of a lot of changes for this game. There will definitely be a lot of changes for this game. The only thing is whether it'll be the same kind of thing where... I like that Palace game. He made a lot of changes. We did well, but he just saw it as giving a rest to players who then all came back in on the kind of weekend after. And we we, we promptly lost to Palace uh, in the league game that was straight after the cup game. Um, and yeah, I personally am not that bothered about this League Cup match. You know, we won this competition last year. I think this year we really needed to be progressing in the league, in the Champions League. But it's now that situation where if you lose a game, <clears throat> the next game doubles in importance. So all of a sudden, this Newcastle game becomes much more important. If Ten Hag loses another one, 
there's already people starting to talk about his future. How long can he last? And, you know, we've all been here before. We know how it went, how when that talk starts with Van Hal, when that talk starts with Mourinho, when that talk starts with Ole. Ole did actually survive a season off this talk, went through it, still managed top four, but it all came back the season after. The others... Every time there was this first like rumbling of consent, they were uh, discontent. They were gone by the end of the season. Uh, I think it's going to be very sad if that happens again. I think Eric Ten Hag did a brilliant job last year. I still think that not enough is being made of our absolute ridiculous injury list. Uh, I think that was his mistake where we had so many injuries that it was not the time to start trying to get a new system going. And especially so many injuries, plus new players getting thrown in there, Onana, Mount, then Hoyland, all getting kind of thrown into a new system. And that's why it just hasn't worked out at all. Uh, I mean, when we look at players like the big players for me that are really missing and without them is where we realise what we had when they were there is Martinez and Shaw, that whole kind of left side of our defence. They're both really good defenders, also both absolutely vital to our build-up play. Uh, and yeah, we sure played, what, the first two games of the season? And then Martinez played a few. We now learn since then that he, when he was playing, he wasn't fully fit anyway. So I think it was kind of a bit of a mistake that Ten Hag threw him in there at like 70%. And it's now meant he's out for an even longer amount of time. But they are the big, big two misses for us. I mean, there is others we haven't seen yet. Um you know, I threw out in our WhatsApp group the other day about, look, what would be your solution to this problem? Who would you be playing? And people have all of a sudden bigging up the likes of Mainu. Uh, you know, that's what happens when players don't play. Their reputation goes up every week when things aren't going well. And now all of a sudden people think that Kobe Mainu is going to be the one who's going to come and save us. And yeah, I think he is a very promising youngster, one for the future, but I don't think he's going to be the great hope that suddenly revolutionizes the team and gets us going again. Uh, I hope he gets a run out on Wednesday he needs some minutes to get back to fitness but yeah he's a young kid and I think people are expecting a bit too much there but the ones that really we need back and I don't know we're not hearing much about it is Martinez is sure uh, until we get these and yeah maybe even a bit on like the likes of Aaron Wan-Bissaka you know Diego mm. Dallo is playing every single week twice a week at the moment and yeah for me that is still the major problem it is the defence uh, you know I talk about the City game where we won 2-1 in January none of our back four that day were available in this game I'll check Varane started that game so potentially he was available but he didn't start this time uh, so it's a total change there um, yeah but I mean, the, the one kind of positive... Go on. I was just saying the injuries are bad, but I mean, the ultimate idea is once you have a system and everything in place, people should be able to come in even if they're not as good as the player they're replacing and fit into that system. But obviously we're trying to change a system or do a new system and that just it throws it all out of whack. But I still don't think he's... Enough. I mean, oh, teams have injuries and yeah, we have had a lot of injuries and they are bad. But if we're saying that two injuries in our back line is making us play absolutely terrible... I don't think that's good enough. No, but it's not It's not just two. For me, they're like the two biggest misses, but we are on like fourth and fifth choice centre-back. We are on third or fourth choice left-back. It's not even like second choice, you know. We're looking at third, fourth, fifth choices at the moment. Uh, yeah, but so when, yeah, when we get um, Regulon, who I would say is probably better than Malassia anyway, Regulon's not even starting this game, so... Yeah, I, do. I think that's, yeah, there can be a debate there on whether Reguilon's a better option than Malassia. I think if all were fit, that I think Malassia would be still starting ahead of him. He was like an emergency lone backup player. He hadn't been playing much for Spurs for a while. He, he's good attacking-wise. I think the reason he didn't start this game against City is because he's very suspect defensively. He ends up way ahead. There's massive space behind him. I think City would have absolutely mashed us, and that's why... He's played Lindelof, who should, in theory, be more defensively solid, uh, even though he's offering virtually zero attacking-wise in this kind of setup. And I think that's why he's gone with Lindelof. And, and zero defensive-wise. He was absolutely rubbish. I don't think the man's ever made a slide tackle in his life, Lindelof. You know that. It made me long for the day. Remember back in the day when you were a full when a fullback would first thing he'd do was slap the winger and absolutely cream them to make sure you know you're, yeah, you're not going to let him know you're, you're there. Start. Let him know you're there. None of that from Lindelof. Lindelof would lay out a carpet. This is what this is what you can do for the rest of the game. Don't worry, guys. It's all yours. All your all your space. Go for it. Absolutely crap. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not a big fan of Victor Lindelof. He did have a decent end to the season last year, which kind of surprised me at the time. And at that time, I think he pushed himself ahead of Maguire in the pecking order. I think Maguire now has pushed back ahead of him, you know, but we're still oh, talking, Miles. arguing over who's kind of Evan, fourth Evan's choice and who's now. fifth choice. Lindelof is fifth. Lindelof is eighth choice, hopefully. Ter- sixth, I, I hope he, sixth, he, sixth. I hope he never plays a centre-back ever again we'll, for us. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're talking about six choice because, yeah, you're yeah. starting with Varane Martinez, then you're going for Shaw, Maguire, Evans, Lindelof. Uh, mm. You know, that is the thing. We're, we're way down the pecking order when these players are playing. Uh, and I think some people do forget that. We're not even on second yeah. or third choices. We're on fourth, fifth choices. And that that's the, that is the, still the biggest problem for me. Um, the biggest and, yeah, problem for me I think people do rec- is, just bringing it back to Ten Hag, is it should be better than this even with the injuries, even with... And I get, like, he's, he's spent a lot of money on Anthony and that's a dreadful signing in pretty much every sense and you have to hold that again. It shouldn't be his job. It definitely shouldn't be his job, but it is his job and you have to hold that against him. We've wasted £55 million on Mason Mount for some reason that only he knows and it's I don't think he knows anymore and it's really looking like it's just not working at all. And personally, right now, I do not see... I do not see a planet or an existence where we are a success under Eric Ten Hag. He might get us playing a bit better again. He might get us to that top four again, but I, I just don't see a world where we push up, we really push on onto him. And that's why I, I think I said it after the game, I said when Ratcliffe comes in with his 25% and he gets the structure in place, he gets his people in, whatever he wants, I might say, cheers Ten Hag, thanks for that, but we'll, we're, we're going we're gonna to have a very very hard reset and I know we talk about resets a lot etc but it's hard to have a reset when you're under the same ownership all the time and the same absolute crap in the in the background but if Ratcliffe's in with different people um, and actual football people in positions and all that stuff is sorted out I would say cheers to Nag but it's time for a change So what you're already more or less ready to be seen the back of Eric Ten Hag I'm not, not, not now there's no point now Absolutely zero point in getting rid of him now while while all this is up in the air. Um, yeah, but you're saying that you don't really have any faith in him being I don't, not, around not, for the long term. Not particularly, no. I don't think there's... I mean, we've been here many times before as well, and I think that plays into it as yeah, well. Yeah, so, so is it just the City game? Because, you know, you were on a couple of no, weeks we, ago. I mean, when... we, haven't, we haven't played well this season at all, really, have we? Let's be honest. I don't, there's one game we played well this season, that was Palace at home against their second eleven. We haven't played well at all in any game this season. I think I bet I was telling this to to my boss who's a Spurs fan. I said the best we best we played this season is the first half against Spurs, and that was a game we lost. So, and we deserve to lose ultimately in that second half performance. So, yeah, I I just I don't see a planet where he's a success. I might be wrong about that, but that's just 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 my gut instinct on it. And when when have you when that when has that been? where you're at for turn because look we did we talked about it what two or three weeks ago and you said yeah look at the moment i remember you said eric ten Hag, he's still got a lot of credit in the bank he for does, a very good season last season said at the time as well obviously things have been bad it's, it's absolutely pointless there's no, no no point in thinking about it because the ownership's still in place and that's what that is what it is but if you're thinking that okay ratcliffe's actually going to come in with his 25 percent and actually change things and yeah maybe it is then time to have a hard reset and that is a chance to have a very hard reset uh, but yeah, he can have a hard reset of saying to Eric Ten Hag, you're no longer in charge of transfers, which he quite clearly is, because we can see the yeah. players who are well, coming has in, to happen. most of them. And yeah, I, I, that's what I would do, right? I, I still think Eric Ten Hag is a damn good coach. I think he did brilliant work last season from a broken squad that even started the year badly to end up top three. Nobody was giving us a chance of finishing top four. I think I remember... Maybe even Colm was on the podcast in the first couple of seasons, for a couple of months of last season, and said the season's over already. I just hope that Eric Ten Hag can use this season to get us playing some decent football. Nobody thought we were getting anywhere near top four. Nobody thought we were going to be winning a trophy. We ended up in two Wembley finals. I think people forget pretty quickly. And as I said, it's only earlier this year that we beat Manchester City in this fixture and went toe to toe with them. I mean, obviously, it's been an awful start to the season, but we are only two two and a half months in. Um, 
And yeah, for me, I put it mostly down to injuries. He has made mistakes. He does have to take blame for some tactical errors. There's been a couple of duff transfers, but I don't think they're all duff. I think Martinez is a very good player. I think, you know, uh, some others, Casemiro, have done well last season. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that... But we've had the same problem before. Managers complain, saying, look, I'm not getting the players I want. Uh, transfers are done by committee. Now they've gone the other way, saying to the manager, like, all right, you you take the transfers you want, but then it's all on you. Uh, we, you know, either way we do it, it doesn't seem to well, work that's out because for the us. Commit, that's, that's because the, the committee was terrible, ultimately, at the end of the day. Uh, you get the right committee in place, you get the right structure in place, you get the right philosophies in place, etc. Uh, this is how, this is the type of player we're recruiting, this is the type of style of football we want to play, this is the type of manager we want to get to implement that style, etc, etc. And yes, you can have the manager have a say, have an input, for example, say, no, I don't want to work with this player etc but it shouldn't be we go spend 80 million pounds on anthony who is just awful it i think i would generally say anthony is probably the worst winger we've ever had to play 50 games for us i think um the only only person who could no no the only person who could rival him would be sancho and <laughs> well, i was gonna say at least puts it there with us currently but I, I couldn't think of another winger who's played over 50 games for us who's who's worse I can't remember who's played 50 well, games. A, that's what a lot 50 of games, a lot of games. I mean, yeah, you, what you could say, like Chong or something, has played five, but 50 games. No, no, I was like, players who didn't work out for us have come to mind, whether it's uh, Carol Paborski, David Bellion. These kind of names are coming Bellion into my mind when you're talking about who's Bellion the most useless. Times. Yeah, maybe not. Um, yeah, even someone, even someone has like, he played 50 games for us yet? Who? Sorry? Anthony, has he played yeah, 50 yeah, games played 50 for us? Yeah, he's played 50 games for us, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... Like even so, even someone like Mkhitaryan, who I I really didn't like Mkhitaryan. I thought it was absolutely terrible. He's like light years ahead of Anthony, absolutely light years. So you know. All right, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll throw that out for our listeners. If anybody wants to give us the list of uh, worst wingers who've played fifty games for us, then Anthony or Sancho, uh, just yeah, send us a tweet or email or whatever. Uh, I think we will take a quick break there. You had already touched on it. We will talk more about the ownership situation and have a look forward to some of the games coming up. Back for part three and the last part of this week's podcast. Yeah, look, we said this was obviously going to be a depressing podcast. I mean, let's start with some of the bit of the positive stuff first, because there was another game since last time we recorded. We did finally get some points on the table in the Champions League. Uh, I was there at Old Trafford for this Copenhagen game. Like Sheffield United, like Brentford, you cannot say it was some kind of well-deserved scintillating victory, but we did win the game uh, and it was a great end to the match. I mean, I'm sad, Imran, you've missed the only two great moments of this season, which was the two last minute goals by Scott McTominay versus Brentford and the last minute uh, penalty save by Onana versus Copenhagen there. And yet, plus the easy win against Crystal Palace. So you've literally won, missed the like, only three good things that have happened at Old Trafford this season. Um, I mean, yeah, look, it wasn't a great performance. Like I said, we've already touched on some of the stuff. It was a similar setup. First half, very poor. He makes a change, takes out the defensive midfielder, Amrabat, brings in Ericsson. We play a bit better, make a few chances. And in the end, yeah, it's great to see Harry Maguire get on the score sheet. I mean, that match, I think, was all about redemption for one, Harry Maguire, and two, Andre Onana, who obviously had had a very dodgy start to his Manchester United career. I think he's now had at least two very good games. Uh, You know, that penalty save, has won as the points on the day there. And I thought he was our best player on the day versus Manchester City. Yeah, great week for Onana, you have to say. And I've been a, a big critic of his, but excellent week. That penalty save was massive. Uh, it was never a penalty, by the way. Another shocking decision. Absolutely terrible decision, that one. Uh, Mutomini puts his leg up in the air. Attacker just literally, literally jumps into his leg and gets a penalty. Uh, holds it goes down holding you know it's not you know it's not a foul when the player goes down holding his face despite his face never being touched so that was the giveaway there uh, never a penalty great save on Nana. so justice was done on that regard and then yeah brilliant game against City uh, tremendous two tremendous saves in that game the one from Phil Haaland in the first half and the one on one in the second half as well with a big hand up uh, I get that was I mean that second uh, that second half on one is something we've not really seen from Haaland have we uh, from Onana sorry his one on one's been really poor but that one he was out strong 
big strong hand made himself big that's literally we haven't seen that at all from him yet on one-on-one so that was good to see and it looks like things are turning a corner for him which is which is great Maguire as I said probably our best outfield player against City um, which is saying something when you're a centre-back and you lose concede three goals but it's mainly because of their all the dross around you in front of you and the full-backs but he's um you know can't fault his attitude his mentality is pretty strong it was a great header um and yeah kept us in the champions league really that um another thing as well because i mean we're, we're hanging on to that champions league second spot by the spin at the skin of our teeth if, if we don't qualify for champions league is that another Sorry, if we don't qualify at the group for Champions League, is that another mark against Ten Hag? I would say probably. So, you know, currently that's keeping him in a job. Yeah, I mean, let's see. We could obviously still end up in the Europa League. And to be honest, it's probably more our level, more competition. We have a chance of winning than the Champions League. Uh, and it might also be another option for us getting into the Champions League for the season after. So that is I mean, true. it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world but uh yeah we'll see how that rolls on as i say it is our first points we'll have to now go away to copenhagen and get some points there and then yeah we'll see if the table's a little bit looking a bit better for us um look it was a great kind of and you know when you get those ends of the games it is brilliant like i said i'm so happy for anana in particular you know we're talking about ten hog signings and they're really coming into question now onana is obviously a big one we paid a lot of money for him and especially when other keepers went quite a lot cheaper this summer you know sanchez went to uh chelsea from brighton raya went to arsenal from brentford for less money than we've played for onana uh, so yeah a lot of scrutiny on that and yeah that, I, I, in a way, like people say the manager shouldn't get to choose the players, but I kind of think it's fine because then it's all on them. They can't complain. Whereas before we had managers like Van Hal, like Mourinho, and afterwards they all went moaning saying, well, I never got the players I wanted. Uh, there was a committee. They didn't agree with me. And so, yeah, no, you can't blame me. They all came out with this kind of thing. Whereas Ten Hag can never have that excuse because it's absolutely clear that all right, he's not necessarily got his first choices every time, but it's pretty clear that these are players that he wanted. Um, I mean, I'm sure he would have preferred Harry Kane than Rasmus Hoyland, and I'm pretty sure he wanted Frankie de Jong rather than Casemiro, but he's still got players that he obviously wanted and a lot of money is being paid for them, so he can't complain that much. Uh, but yeah, it looks like Onana is turning a corner. That's been the one kind of big positive. He did also get some recognition last night at the whole Ballon d'Or Awards. He was up for mm. best goalie in the world. Uh, he didn't win and he it, came, and he obviously. He came 23rd, I think. 23rd in the list? Yeah. 24th? 23rd. Like I think he only actually... I think you came 23rd. It just means one journalist somewhere in the world gave him a vote for being in the top five players in the world. Hey. And I think that was enough to get you, you, you number 23. You'll take it, especially if you're a goalkeeper. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I mean, it, it's good to see. It's good. Especially, I mean, all those, those creepies you mentioned as well, Ray and Sanchez, haven't exactly had stellar starts to their Chelsea and Arsenal. No, they've not lives to be fair. as well. They've not. Um there were so, names though, I'm just saying that yeah, weren't yeah, mentioned yeah, no. for so, who I mean, should it's, replace it's a hard De Gea. position. Hard position, hard settling, especially when you're coming to a club the size of us. So if he is settling in, then I can eat some humble pie and say, you know what, well done Onana. You made me eat my words on that one and he currently has. The last two games you can't cannot really fault him for the last two games. I think um there was a couple of instances in the City game where he probably pushed the ball into danger when he could have, say, pushed him a bit, you know, wider or over the bar or whatever. But other than that, I mean, that save from Haaland in the first half in real time live was absolutely incredible. Uh, you'd think that was a goal every day of the week. So, yeah, fantastic save. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, not I don't want to go too much back to the City game, but that had been the warning for the exact goal that Haaland then <laughs> scored against that, us. Wasn't it? We didn't, we absolutely didn't take a... Didn't take any heed from that at all. Uh, I haven't haven't watched the goal back, to be fair, so I don't know how he managed to get so free on the back post. Uh, It's a mess up. I mean, you'd say Evans is with him, but then somebody else makes a run. Evans follows him and leaves Haaland completely. You... I've only watched it about a couple of times and I still don't know where on earth Victor Lindelof was in this whole play at that time. Being shit. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, look, as I said, let's not go back to the City game. I was supposed to be talking about more positive things for a minute. So yeah, as I said, the Copenhagen game was on the positive side. But going back to depressing things again is the ownership situation. You've already kind of touched on it. Uh, as I said, I was kind of surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised at all that there's been no progress on this whatsoever. It's like two weeks now since we heard that Sheikh Jassim and the Qatari bid was off the table and that Sir Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos was talking about a minority deal. Initially, papers were making out this was a done deal and was going to get done quickly. It's now absolutely clear that is not going to happen. I said on the last podcast, I'll be even surprised if that happens this year because we know the Glazers move at a sales pace. They don't do anything fast. They're clinging on for everything they can at Manchester United. I mean, I'm always getting involved in these debates on Red Cafe, sometimes a bit too much. Um, But yeah, I still can't believe that there's been no progress after one year. We're now coming up to one year since they first like announced that they were looking at options of investment and maybe selling the club. And the worst thing for me is that it seemed like the only deal that was going to get them completely out of the club is no longer on the table. And the very best we can now hope for is this 25% minority investment. They are still the majority owners. I mean, you, If we look at the positive side, it's what you were saying. Can Ratcliffe come in? He's saying he wants to have control over the footballing side of the club. I don't see why the Glazers would give yeah, him that mental. control. It's absolutely still mental. Never... Imagine that. I own a business, but you know what? You can control everything for 25%. Yeah, you do that. It's all my money, but you know, you, you control it. Absolutely mind-boggling. But then it's the Glazers and they're absolute morons, so... And you say I, mean, I guess the I, rationale. I, I, I remember last year we had this when when this came out. Nick, you said this is definitely going to happen. This is def- like this doesn't happen unless you want to say. And I told you at the time, I said, do not for a second think that this is anything but Glazer bullshit. And this is so nothing surprises me anymore. I will be I will be thrilled if by the end of the, the end of the season, Ratcliffe has somehow managed to get twenty five percent and got a different football structure in. But I honestly. I don't see that happening. It's just, there'll be something else. There'll be something else. Oh, actually, no, we don't want to sell 25%. Oh, no, it's going to be 10% now. Oh, actually, it's going to be fine. Oh, it's going to be no percent. Oh, we're going to just be in charge forever. Just the same old shit. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure any long-term listeners to this podcast will know that I'm often the optimist looking forward. So, yeah, listen, I was sold. I was like, the Glazers are going. We're going to get new owners. The only question is, who are they going to be? And I was like, whoever they are, they're still going to be better than the Glazers. So it doesn't matter. You know, I did prefer the Qatari bid. I was so seduced by offers of clearing the debt, putting money into a new stadium, investing in the local community. I was like, listen, I'm sold. I'm sold. Everybody, you know, we had uh, Ali Woods on the last podcast and he brought up the obvious questions about human rights in Qatar, morality, me, I don't care. Yeah, I'm like, no give morals. me the new stadium. Nick, Nick no morals, that's what we call it. Yeah, well, I, as I said time and time again, like I don't actually see any connection. For me now, yeah, Sheikh Jassim has walked away. Is the human rights situation in Qatar suddenly getting better? No. So there's actually, to me, as far as I'm concerned, there is no connection of these things. People get a bit too focused on all. And every option is dirty. Every option has moral questions. You know, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, there's questions about greenwashing the environment. He supports Brexit. For me, that's actually a way bigger issue. But still, I don't even care. I'll still take him over the Glazers. Uh, and a, a big not, criticism you know, of yours for Ratcliffe was how bad Nisa doing, but Nisa now top of Liga. Yeah, that actually is a big positive. I had a big problem with that when we were talking about this last season, that Nice fans were protesting, they'd been awful. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, the track record here is not good. But yeah, they've actually turned it around. Nice are currently top of the table there. So yeah, that is something where we can hopefully, as I say, I'm always the one to cling over on any bit of optimism I can find anywhere. So yeah, Jim Ratcliffe's other club, Nice, is doing pretty well this season. So yeah, maybe they have learned from past mistakes and maybe they can bring that to the club. I mean, I know we said that there's no chance of the Glazers giving full control. The rationale people are giving out is that surely a decade down the line Joel Glazer and Avram Glazer who are we know the two who have been involved in the club realize that they've made a mess of it after 10 years they must realize no, we're not doing a good job that. We're not, they, they must they, realize that listen we there is absolutely no planet in that they do not think they've done an incredible job 
They think they've done an absolutely incredible job. And genuinely, there is no, this, that, that's what people like that are like. They think they're brilliant and they will think that their sun is shining out of their ass and they've done a great job. They, they, make no illusions. They think they're doing amazing stuff. No, look, my hope is that they're interested in the money, right? And they can see that we've not been successful for 10 years now. And if Ratcliffe comes in and says, listen, let me deal with the sporting side, you'll still get all the financial benefit of when this club starts winning things again. That'll be his pitch. And they'll say, listen, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to bring in my people. Like, you know, I've learned on the job out in France in how, how to do things, how we can set up. We need a proper director of football, football structure, whatever. And we can get back to winning ways and you will make more money out of this. They might take that. I'm hoping they'll take that. I mean, I don't think Joel Glazer's ever going to give him full control. He'll still want to be involved. I think he'll have to he'll have still want to have a say. And everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's no way that, you know, the Glazer family who are outnumbering him as shareholders by more than double are going to let him make every decision. But you just hope that they can. There is just change. You know, like I said, at the moment, I'm ready for any change. I'll even take that yeah, 25% the, the issue option. there is obviously, I think football history has shown that generally when you have two big personalities in the ballroom, it does not work. Um, Arsenal had that issue with Kroenke and the other guy, didn't they? Yeah, um, yeah. I touched on that on the last podcast. Yeah. That is the worry on when things go wrong, when you have big major, too many kind of major shareholders and nobody having a clear say. Uh, you know, we shouldn't forget there's another 30% shareholders that we have various hedge yeah. funds and, and all in New York. If Ratcliffe comes in, puts everything in place, a year, he's not got results in a year, say. There's nothing stopping the Glazers saying, actually, you know what? We vote you out now. We'll, we'll, we'll take it over again. So, more doom and yeah. gloom, basically. No. Let's see. As we say, it's kind of all gone a bit quiet. As far as I know, there is still these talks definitely ongoing between the Glazers and Ratcliffe. What I get is they've got a vague agreement on how much he's going to pay for 25% of the club. The big details that still need to be agreed is this kind of thing, where Sir Jim Ratcliffe, he wants big control over sporting side of the club. Uh, the Glazers are probably not totally willing to give that away. I think they're also trying to thrash out some kind of vague agreement in principle for Ineos, so Sir Jim Ratcliffe, buying more shares in the future. Uh, and I think these are the big sticking points at the moment. I read somewhere so, that yeah, how quickly. I read somewhere that it's Jim Ratcliffe buying this club, 25%, not Ineos. I mean, Jim Ratcliffe is Ineos. He, he is the majority well, shareholder. He set sense, up that company. He's it, not the only shareholder. From a legal sense, it will make a difference if Jim Ratcliffe is owning 25% or if Ineos is because of debt and et cetera. Look, these are the kind of details that we still need to see. There's a lot of ways to do this. And then, yeah, people still ask questions as well about, you know, two people are not allowed to own two clubs in European competition. And he, they are currently the owners of Nice. Uh, but Ineos do have this whole kind of sporting investment side of the company. All of Jim Ratcliffe's, most of his wealth is still tied to Ineos. So, yeah, we have to see. As he said, until all the details come out, we don't know. I mean, he is wealthy in his own right, but most of his wealth comes from that company. And for those who don't know, Ineos are a big petrochemicals company. Uh, they make hand sanitizers and every little pl anything to do with pet plastics and stuff like chemicals and whatever. They're involved in it, basically. Um, and, uh, but, yeah. Look, we'll see what happens. It's a kind of watch this space situation. Uh, before rounding off, let's have a quick look at what's coming up. We said already we've got the Newcastle Carabao Cup game coming up on Wednesday. And then, yeah, we're away to Fulham. Um, I, as I said, I personally am not too bothered about this Carabao Cup this year. We won it last year. We went to two finals. I think we absolutely need to get that league form back on track. Uh, Fulham are not in the best of form at all. Uh, we beat them three times last season. You know, remember that cup game? They had yeah. two late sendings off. Uh, the manager got sent off and there was all sorts of craziness. Um, yeah, we beat them all three games last season and they're not on good form. Again, I remember you saying about two months ago, we've got a really good run of games. We should be winning every single one apart from kind of you know Manchester City that was thrown in the middle and uh, like all right we did beat Brentford we did beat Sheffield United uh, we did beat Burnley we did not beat Palace but yeah Fulham is another one on that list even though it's away from home that we should be winning and mm. we have to be winning you know if these two games go and Ten Hag is not pulling out 
uh, at least one win from these two matches, then yeah, definitely. All that criticism, all that Man United are in crisis, all the press start getting on his back. And we know it's always difficult to recover from that. Yeah, I think it's a big win, a big game we have to win, ultimately. You go out of the cup now, it's not looking good, is it? Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a big game. So look, look, what the big question? What changes just, are you going to make? Let's kind of forget about the let's forget about the Newcastle because there's bound to be changes rotation. Let's talk about that Fulham game, which is the more important one. Who are you playing? Well, who's depends, dropped uh, and who's coming in? It depends in? on the, that new that Newcastle game. If if Ganacho comes in and does well, I'd keep him in the game for Fulham. Same with Hannibal. Same with Regulon. Whoever the hell is in my midfield, like. I would see we'll see what happens in that Newcastle game and build on that if we actually can come out of it with a decent result. I still expect us to lose that Fulham game. It feels like a game we'll lose, um, just because it is. Fulham actually got a decent draw against Brighton at the weekend. Um, yeah, they've not been on the no, best. Not been on the best of form, which is usually recently. an indicator that they're going to beat Man United. Uh, but we should we should win. Um, but I won't be surprised if we don't. But then we've got Luton, we've got Copenhagen away, which is, again, massive, and then Luton at home, which, I mean, I, even I think we should... I'm going to that game, and I I still think we'll win beat Luton at home. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's four big games, four, four games that we need to win, really. Um, I know you're saying the League Cup's not important, but I think another game at home... If it was away at St. James, I'd be like, mm, fair enough, but it, it's at home. We need, to st- we need to stop giving up these home losses, ultimately. We've lost four games at home this season. Yeah, you're right. Because ridiculous. You know, once Old Trafford kind of get on your back, then managers rarely survive. Right. And obviously, last season the Old Trafford form was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that. You know, that's why. I'll, well, that's it. And that was what a lot of player uh, fans were backing him all the way. A lot of fans were giving him every bit of credit. Um, but yeah, you can't survive that long if you keep losing. It's what happened to Louis van Gaal. You know, he had that period where we didn't kind of score a goal at Old Trafford for about six months or something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he does need to get this Old Trafford form back on. Uh, as I, look, I have been there for some of the wins. So no, you've just been very, very unlucky. But uh, so what you said, you're not going to the Newcastle. I'm not going to Newcastle, so we'll definitely win. Um, I actually do. Th- right, I actually do right. think we'll win but tomorrow. Are... I think we'll do win. I think. I think Newcastle themselves will probably rest a few players. I don't think rotate. Yeah, because they've got Champions League yeah. as well. And I think that what they drew with Wolves at the weekend. Uh, I think the priorities wise, I see this as being low down for them. I think both teams will make a lot of change, and I think we actually will win. Uh, Fulham, I'm not 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 as confident about. Yeah, I think both us and Newcastle will rotate a lot. The game is a much more important for us than them. Uh, so, yeah, let's see what our kind of... Resi- like I said, there's a lot of players who need minutes. Uh, you mentioned Hannibal. You mentioned Garnacho. I hope Mainu is now back on the, back in the squad. He was on the bench. We've not seen any of him this season. Uh, here, Ahmad is also back in training. So, yeah, these are players we've seen nothing of this year. But, yeah, the ones I said I want to see back and I'm not hearing much about them is Martinez and Shaw. They're the ones that we're really, really missing. Uh, I mean, look, I guess... Yeah, we'll see what happens. But the questions are being asked about Ten Hag. Imran's already more or less lost faith in Eric Ten Hag. I, I, I'm still sticking with the manager. And as I always do, I stuck with Ole till the bitter end. I stuck with. I, I still think that we sat Louis van Gaal too early. Uh, even Mourinho that I never wanted. I was still, I was still sticking with him. And there, no, so yeah, I'm not I, 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 less I, I, on I any of these. You were sick of Mourinho at the end. I think I'm pretty sure you were. No, no, I said he had yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, I did, did say he had to go. I did say he had to go. Um, he was the one where I was like, no, he had to go. Too toxic, yeah. too much bad feel everywhere. He had to go. But yeah, the ones I felt sad for were Ole and Louis van Gaal. Uh, but yeah, not David Moyes, by the way. I never well, actually, wanted you him. Wanted, you also wanted Carrick in. Let's not forget. Your big, your oh, yeah, yeah, biggest, yeah, yeah. Biggest fan as a <laughs> manager you are. It's just still our greatest manager. Still our greatest manager. Nobody will ever beat his record. Uh, but yeah, I, let's see how we come through this next period. I, I think it's sad we've come to this point already, talking about manager in or out. I did not expect to be in October talking about Ten Hag's job after a very good season last season. But yeah, think, we are where I, we are, I, as I said. I think it doesn't help also that you see teams like Spurs improving so much, Villa improving so much. Newcastle showing that last season wasn't actually just a freak season. 
uh, there's only really Chelsea who are a bit still basket casey, but even then they actually looked like they were doing a little bit better for a while. They obviously lost, to, but they always lose to Brentford. So, but even they look a bit on. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that Liverpool are obviously got their mojo back as well. Looks like Arsenal is being consistent, and I don't think any of that helps. It looks like we're just falling way behind everybody else. Um, you know, and we can't afford to. It definitely does, but you know. At some point, you have to really say that it's not the manager's fault that every time we just keep changing the manager, starting again, every time. And, you know, we know now that Ten Hag has bought in his own players. These aren't players that have been bought by the club to fit a future philosophy. So if we change the manager again, and this current manager has spent 400 million on seven players well, that are integral to him, then, you know, it's an absolute yeah, waste well, of that's, time. That's why again. I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't do it until there's big change all around and that's also why you shouldn't have the manager do the transfers because once he goes then what what you're left with so there's there's two lessons there what well, i don't think you should go now i'm not saying that we should sack Eric ten Hag tomorrow because ultimately whoever we get in will just have the same old shit to deal with so yeah no you know that for me is the biggest message eric ten Hag has made mistakes he made mistakes in the lineup and changes in this city game there's other things he's not done right but he's done a lot of good especially last season so for me he gets plenty of time to sort that out and especially this we should forget the biggest problem at this club is above eric ten Hag. the biggest problem is the glazer ownership bad decisions from the board so much off-field crap which has nothing to do with him whether it's sancho whether it's a bit uh, to do with him but i still i'm I still back ten Hag on that one yeah but he's oh, right, what he's right. Done. Yeah. Sancho, you know map. anthony greenwood i mean other stuff as well like the papers you know man united fans lap up too much stuff i see today people are moaning about oh marcus rashford went out uh, to celebrate his birthday non- who no, cares no who cares like there's no story. Why is it a story? As long as he's still showing up to training and doing this thing, yeah, Marcus Rashford is off form. He's been playing very badly. He probably deserves to be dropped. But I do not care that he went out to a club to celebrate his birthday. It's nothing to do with it. And people need to stop lapping up all this rubbish that the media send out. Uh, but yeah, whether I like it or not, the questions are now being asked about Eric Ten Hag. We'll have these next couple of games and we will be back after the Fulham game next weekend Uh, that is it from us for this week good night from me cheers thank you for listening to United Hour remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore hour please take the time to leave a five star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings to get in touch please email unitedhour at gmail.com Podcast Network.